right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. That. You know, we got past that. Right? Let's go. Crank it. Crank it, Glenn Cross. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Hey, what's happening? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Um, At this time, you may already be wondering, why does this sound different than normal? Well, um, quick answer to that is that I had a uh, close contact with somebody who tested positive for COVID. I'm feeling okay right now. I am vaccinated. So um, I I know the protocol is a little different here. The soonest I could find a test was tomorrow. So we're just playing safe. I am uh, actually back at my house doing the show via Zoom. Thank goodness for Zoom. I mean, that was maybe the best discovery throughout um, the time of of COVID. Um, You know, not a lot of great things happened during COVID, but finding Zoom, that was uh, something that was definitely... A positive. So uh, I'm just going to be zooming in during the show today. I'm sure we'll have several different points of where one of us is trying to interrupt the other and we're like half a second off and it's just the uh, 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 uh. So that's going to be exciting to look forward to. Um, but Adam is back in the studio. I am live from my home. Uh, how is everything doing, Adam? Is it like 85 degrees like normal in that room? Uh, you know what? I actually opened the window a second ago uh, because normally it is very warm in here. And I don't, I think I got over the, I don't know, 23 seconds that I had the window open. I think I got just enough frigid air in here to balance out the heat. So I closed the window back up and right now it's actually pretty comfortable. Mm, There you go. It's always a balancing act in there. And by the way, today is January 6th, which, you know, years go by, important dates happen, you know, um, big things happened on January 6th in the past, um, a day that will live in infamy, a day that changed everything. And here we are on this notable day once again in 2022. If you're not following what I'm talking about yet, um, that would be the 2018, January 6th. Do you know what happened on that day? Let's see. 2018, uh, was that the when the Chiefs crapped the bed against the Titans? That is correct. Okay, Marcus I knew it was, I knew it was in the comeback. He has the dumb play where he gets like the throw to himself. It turns into a uh, a touchdown or two point conversion, whatever it is, and and they win twenty two to twenty one. Let me bring you back to that day. Derek and I watched that game together. If for people who've been listening, you should know, but you you would know by now that the Derek and I we we've been friends long since before we started working together, and we watched that game together. And I, in my friendly way, had to convince him because the KU started conference. They either started mm-hmm. conference play or had like their second conference game that night. Anyway, they played, I think, TCU that night. And I had to convince Derek, like, hey, man, let's just go back to your apartment, watch the KU game. We'll at least be in a better mood if they win. Because Derek, understandably so, by no means is he off base here. Derek was ready to be done with sports for the weekend after that. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, it's very true. I mean, sometimes those games just break you. And, and what makes it worse for me. We knew it was coming. The, well, you know what? Yeah, yeah. That really was, did. to me, but the like, worst you know part is like every every moment. It was like, oh, God, this is what's going to happen, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It was it was just the feeling of inevitability. But um, one thing that I'm super happy about with the, the added game in the NFL schedule is that everything gets pushed back a week. And so um, my birthday is it tends to be right on or around when these things happen. Um, so the fact that they pushed it back a week, I now no longer have to be like, Oh, not only did all this happen, but it's my birthday and, and blah, 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 all this stuff. Um, so that, that sucks. Cause I think of the Colts one, I think the Colts one did happen on my birthday when they blew that game. And then you have the Titans one, which that was the um, fourth, wasn't it? Yeah. The Colts one might've been the fourth. Maybe that's what it was. Um, and so the Titans one was kind of like looking back on it, obviously you would have still liked to win that game. And, and I would like to think that Patrick Mahomes would, would still be the quarterback the next year, even if you win that game. But hypothetically, if, like, if, if the Chiefs win that game, and let's say the Chiefs win the next game too, they go to the AFC Championship game, or let's even go one further, let's say Alex Smith leads them to a Super Bowl appearance. Does Patrick Mahomes start the next year? I think they were so they were so tied into him because of what they gave up in that draft. It wasn't like Aaron Rodgers with Brett Favre, where he just he was thought of by everybody as a top five pick, and he just happened to fall to twenty three, and the Packers just saw him there and had no other choice but to take him because of how talented he was. The Chiefs gave up a lot. I, I think it was always going to be Alex Smith plays for a year. And then that's that. I, there's a big part of me. I still question. Now, look, it's worked out for Mahomes, and and but I, there's still a big part of me that like whether it be during the Jets game, in the regular season in 2017, or the Giants game. But one of those games during that five game losing skid, I think it was time to go to Mahomes. And I think they, if, at the very least, if you go to Mahomes in that game, they beat the Titans and may and they're at a better shot to win a Super Bowl that year. Yeah, that's the other part of the hypothetical. Like, what do they do if Mahomes is the starter the whole way through? And, and those are things we'll never know. But I, I do think if you do want to look back on it in a positive way, you could say, okay, well, yes, it was unfortunate. That's how it ended. But now looking back with, with hindsight of knowing they were going to win the Super Bowl two years later and knowing they were going to host the AFC Championship three straight years, who knows what will happen this year, that, again, you're not happy with the result, but – it's a lot more forgivable and it almost feels like, okay, well that almost was necessary to get where you were today. Yeah. There was, there was more hope I felt after that game because of Mahomes. My, my biggest memory of the Colts that, and that was a whole disastrous weekend. The Colts, the one, because it was Saturday was chiefs Colts and they, you know, we all know what happened there. Then, um, that Sunday, Kansas hosted San Diego State and lost in Allen Fieldhouse to San Diego State, which for the record was the game where Joel Embiid was standing at the free throw line and the graphic came up with his information, his height, his weight, et cetera, et cetera. And his hometown hadn't been either hadn't been plugged in by somebody at CBS, so his hometown came up as none, comma none. Um so <laughs> that was um that was that always gives me a giggle to look back on, even though the Chiefs lost that or the Jayhawks lost that game. And then I've always had—I'm not sure I'd call myself a Packers fan, but I've always had an affinity for the Packers. If they're playing for the Chiefs, I always cheer for the Chiefs. 
but they weren't playing the Chiefs that day. They were playing the 49ers, and they lost that game too. So I, I had an 0-3 weekend, and it was just gross. Hey, they say bad news comes in threes, right? So uh, I guess so. I don't know. Uh, but that that uh, that's always like overblown because you can come up with three bad things of anything. You'd be like, "Well, I dropped my brownie at work." It's like, oh, that's the, that is that bad. That would be a tragedy. Yeah, I guess it would. Okay, uh, I do want to talk some KU basketball up the top here. Um, Jalen Wilson continues to struggle shooting the ball. I think he went one for six in the game against Oklahoma State. He is now two of like. He's shooting under 10% from three. It is incredible. I know Jesse Newell talked about this a little yesterday. And it's weird because, you know, I I think there's been so much discussion and conversation devoted to David McCormick when he was struggling and do you make a change and what do you do about this and why are you running the offense through Dave and and can he get back to where he was at the end of last year after he had early struggles. And and there's even been conversation about, like, in regards to Dave – hey, maybe we should play Jalen as a small ball five. But I'm kind of perplexed by that because if you look at Jalen and his performances so far, like I'll, I'll give him this. like He has been a fantastic rebounder so far. He had 15 rebounds as well in that game on Tuesday night against Oklahoma State. But it has not come together so far for Jalen. And I don't know if it's because he's pressing. I don't know if it's because he he started late after the, the DUI issue where he – had to miss the first three games, but I would think by now it's been long enough you would be back in the swing of play. I don't know if it's just he hasn't adjusted to a role of coming off the bench, but again, it's been a while since that's the case, or I just don't know if maybe he's just not as effective of an offensive player as we thought, and maybe he just went on a hot streak in the first month, really, of his, I guess, real freshman season when he actually got to play. I I don't know what the answer is, but I do think it is very interesting that with all that time we devoted to talking about Dave and his struggles, it's almost it's almost been the scapegoat for not talking about Jalen. And I think part of it, too, is that Dave is, was at least the starter and Jalen was coming off the bench. So it was maybe, you know, you focused on one thing before you get to the other. But I'm sitting here looking at the numbers and I'm kind of wondering if that should be the conversation. We know Dave is going to have more moments this year where you're going to scratch your head and say, well, that was interesting. That was uh, not the best play you'll see. But you're still going to see some highs. So far, we've really yet to see any highs from Jalen other than the good rebounding numbers. Yeah, I'd be interested to go back and see how how many of his points uh, during that really great stretch in the first half, kind of the non-con, um, that he had, how many of those came off broken plays? Um, because his rebounding has been so good. I wonder if a lot of his points, and I wasn't paying close enough attention then to even think about it. I was just kind of ad- admiring how good he was playing. But I do wonder how much of those games came from less him creating offense for himself or him getting the the you know the shot as the result of, of an offensive set and more just a broken play. He gets an offensive rebound and can put it right back in. Yeah, I, I don't know what the answer to, to figuring this out for Jalen. And like I said, I don't know if it's a scheme thing. I don't know if it's just a bad fit on this roster. I don't know if it's he needs to play small ball five, if it's just a mental thing, if it's just, you know, it's it's going to have a, a holy correction to the mean. I mean, if he ends up like if he is a true 35 percent three point shooter, for instance, that means he's going to have a hell of a run upcoming here in January, February. And that would be um, pretty cool to see, obviously. But like. 
in that comparison, uh, again, I, I bring this up because of the fact uh, that Dave has just taken so much criticism and there hasn't really been much given to Jalen. And, and I don't want to play the game of, oh, we need to criticize all these guys, but it's just, it is interesting to me that one guy has taken all of it, uh, pretty much the brunt of it. Uh, Dave is playing 19 minutes per game. Um, Jalen is playing 20 minutes per game. So the minute per game is about even. So you can't sit here and, and see some of these numbers and say, yeah, but Dave was starting most of the games. He was playing more. He's actually playing less than Jalen by minute per game basis. Dave is averaging nine points per game. Uh, Jalen at five and a half. Dave is averaging six rebounds per game. Jalen at five and a half. Dave is uh, averaging about 0.5 assists. Jalen 1.3. So Jalen has the edge there. Dave is averaging 1.2 steals per game. Jalen at 0.6. Dave is averaging 1.2 blocks per game. Jalen at 0.1. Dave, as much as you know, it's it's been of note how he struggled missing some bunnies and shooting and stuff. He's still shooting 49% from the field. Out of comparison, Jalen Wilson is shooting 37% from the field. If you look at true shooting percentage, which takes into account your free throws how often you get there, how many of them you make. It also takes into account your three-point shooting because a three-pointer is weighted more than a two-pointer. So if you shoot 40% from three versus 40% from the field, the three-pointer should matter more because they're worth more. So it takes those into account, even counting those. Dave, his true shooting percentage is 52.5%. Jalen is 38.5%. If you look at their O ratings, which is a measurement of their basically offensive points per 100 possessions, Dave is at 111 for O-rating. Jalen is at a 90.5, 20 points worse, basically, per 100 possessions than Dave. And that 90.5 O-rating is the worst on the team, including all of the walk-ons on KU. If you look at D-rating, Jalen actually has a pretty good D-rating at 90.6, but Dave's is still better at 87. I think just across the board, if if that was the comparison here, which is kind of the one I'm making, just to show you how we've criticized one guy and not really criticized the other, Dave has been by far the better player between the two. Do you think it's possible? Because you even brought up, and and I can't even remember, it wasn't this discussion about Dave versus Jalen, but I just think it was when we were preseason, maybe around like one of those D2 games that that the Jayhawks played as a preseason game, or maybe the Tulsa scrimmage. Anyway, at one point prepping for the season, we were we were talking about players and expectations and things like that, and you brought up that Jalen had kind of fallen off the last, and he's fallen off even more this year, but he really kind of fell off the last mm, seven to ten games last season. Do you think part of the reason is, is you know, Dave is, is a victim of his, and victim's a, a strong word to use, but just based, you know, for the for the sake of the, of the adage, is a victim of, of his success from last year that the reason his slow start was catching more attention was because he was so good at the end of the year, whereas Jalen Wilson had kind of begun to lag in a bad direction toward the end of last year? I think that's a good point, and I think there is something to that. It's almost like when Ochag Baji started out well his first couple games and then you know, he was still a fine player, a solid role player. And I think for Jalen, it's still trying to find that. Maybe that's part of it. Maybe just trying to find your role after, like you said, you start out and you look like you're going to be the star of the team. You're going to be a superstar. And also, you're playing a little bit different role. Dave was struggling enough early on and he didn't have as much big man depth as he had this year. So Jalen was basically filling the role as the small ball five. And, and maybe he's just better 
in that role. Maybe it's a, a position where um, he can take more advantage, at least offensively. But now that he's not really going to get those minutes this year, maybe he's not a matchup nightmare for the other team anymore. I, I don't know what comes into it. And, and I, uh, I think that it would only be natural for everyone because of the fact that he played so well early on to say, okay, we know what good Jalen Wilson looks like because of that. So why can't he get back to that? But I guess what I'm wondering is, are we sure just because he had those really good performances early on, like instead of us just saying that's who he is, how does he get back to it? What if it was just like a hot streak, right? Like what if, like for instance, Derek Carr, who we always mention all the time, um, will have a stretch of maybe three, four games in the middle of the season where he gets super hot. And it's a little day. He did it this year at the beginning of the season instead of in the middle where they beat the Ravens. And uh, I think they beat the Steelers and um, they started out like three, four and oh, and, and he was, uh, you know, lighting it up. And the idea was, well, we've seen this guy be this hot before. Can he, you know, it, now that he's doing it at the beginning of the season, is this just who he is going to be for the season? Uh, but I, I'm here to say, like, I, I don't think it matters when the hot streak, so to speak, matters. If it's just a hot streak and it's a five or seven or ten game stretch over the long haul, like you could have that at any point in the season. And it might just be you played well, you hit shots that you don't normally hit, you got some good matchups, and that's not who you are. So that's, I guess, what I'm trying to try to figure out here. Is the guy we saw with Jalen Wilson at the beginning of his redshirt freshman season, is that the guy he can be, or was that just him playing better than uh, we maybe ever see him uh, in a Kansas uniform play, or at least till maybe his role opens up maybe next year or something like that? Yeah, that's definitely possible. I, I do think we can both agree that that whoever he is as a player, it's better than what we've seen of late, and it, it probably adds to the frustration for fans um, that – we've seen if 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 you are correct and we we haven't seen his middle much we've seen his extremes and that that's kind of um i think if his numbers were just his numbers like if you took his, all of his numbers over the course of his career and he was playing like that in every game nobody would be thinking about jalen wilson they'd just be thinking okay he's a fine role player just look at his numbers um, but because we've seen it now, you have to watch it in context and in contrast to his, his the extreme great end of the spectrum. And now you're having to see the extreme low end of the spectrum. It it adds the frustration. Well, and I think it becomes a little tougher too uh, for what you do if you're KU moving forward. I want to talk about that on the other side because it was easy enough, uh, not easy enough, but it was one thing to say, "Hey, Dave." You know, we're, we're going to bench you and try to find some motivation on the bench. Jalen's already on the bench, so I, I don't know what we do from here. We'll talk about that on the other side. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk. With Adam Gravetta, I'm Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com. And we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. Welcome back in. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Adam Dravetta, Derek Johnson. Back home, currently quarantining right now, awaiting uh, my COVID results, I guess, as I had a close contact. So that's why things sound different here. Um, but as we were talking about, 
with Jalen Wilson uh, in that previous break. With, with Dave, it was one thing to be able to, you know, you try to do everything you can from a motivation standpoint, and then maybe the last um, little thing you have in your back pocket if your Bill Self is, hey, we'll put him on the bench, see if that motivates him or maybe just takes stress off him. Whatever it did, it seemed to have worked. He had 17 points and 15 rebounds against Oklahoma State. But I don't, I don't really know what you do with Jalen Wilson because you're talking about a guy who is coming off the bench. And he did actually get a start in the game that Dave wasn't playing. So if you wanted to you know, dangle the carrot in front of his face of being a starter, it's not like he had a great game against George Mason or anything like that. So I, I don't really know what you do to find the right motivation for Jalen here. Is it having a game where he barely plays, where somebody else takes up his minutes? Is it having a game where he plays even more minutes to try to bust out of the slump? I, I'm kind of at a loss for what you would try to do to get his season kick-started. I think the and, and the further down that that same kind of rabbit hole, I, I think the the problem is he's not. Uh, I you know y- you need him to be better than he's been right now, but he's not somebody like Self for better or for worse has insisted they want to run the offense through their big, particularly when Dave is playing when it's when that Dave is uh, when that big is Dave and and he's playing well, um and and so, but the 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 other side of that is. When you've got Ochai and Christian Brown, you you look at and and bar you know they'll probably have nights you know a, a few nights where they, a couple nights where they struggle, but you can almost bank on fifteen to twenty out of them most nights. Um, I just don't know that he's as important to the offense that you need to do anything to get him. Like really, the biggest thing you don't need, like what did he get the other night? Seven points. I think he was, had uh, seven, two points against. It was only two. Yeah. Okay. See that. Okay. Yeah. Then that that needs to improve. I, I I'm thinking of back to the game where he had, um, maybe it was George Mason. One of the more recent games, he had seven and ten. But yeah, he had two and fifteen the other night. But anyway, you really only need seven to eight points out of him. And so, you know, I, I just don't know that he means as much to the offense that you would need to really make a huge effort to get him going. Because it's not like he's lacking effort on the defensive side. No, I mean, I I think this is, to me, less about what he does total-wise. Because you're right, like, um, rebounding-wise, he's been great, which has its value. I think having just an extra guy who can be like a four-man in there who can handle the ball like he can, that has its value. Um, I think the issue for me is is you have to find a way to make him more efficient. And is he an efficient player at all? I don't know. That's the question. But the sample size continues to grow. And I think as the sample size is growing, it's showing that maybe the offensive guy that we did see in the first month of last season was more of a hot streak than what he actually is in terms of being a, a efficient offensive player. Yeah, um, yeah, that's a good point. I, I guess efficiency, and when you think about it in terms of you don't need him to be, yeah, at what point does he become a liability? Like, it, it isn't, you know, you don't, we're not going to sit here and ever say that we need 15 points out of the guy, but at what point is whatever he does rebounding and, and, and otherwise, you know, because if he's, if he's shooting one for nine, then that is shots that somebody else could be taking. And, and would be more 
You know, like if, if he shoots one for nine and you take those nine shots that he took and spread them amongst three other players, then you can almost guarantee that those nine shots would turn out to be something better than one for nine. Yeah, and uh, if I, I look at this, like I, I you mentioned in the open how I, I looked last year and looked at like the last seven games or whatever. I'm going to go further back here with this sample. If we date this thing back to January 9th of 2021, that would extend this out to a 28-game sample, the last 28 games so that Jalen Wilson full, has played. Almost a full season. Exactly. It's uh, basically a full season, not counting, like, tournaments. If you took away, like, the preseason tournament, the conference tournament, and the uh, NCAA tournament. So, basically, um, that full season. Over the last 28 games, dating back to January 9th of 2021, 8.2 points per game, but again, like you said, like that's probably enough for him to score. It's more about the efficiency. And over that course of time, he is shooting just 36% per- from the field. That's yeah. over 28 games, 36% from the field. And by the way, if you if you look back and say, well, why did he cut it off at January 9th of 2021? And then you see the two games that were before that where he had like 20 points and 16 points. I'll tell you this, even if I go back and say the last 30 games and included those two games where he played well or, or shot the ball well, even including those games, he'd still only be at just under nine points per game on 37% from the field. So it wouldn't get much better. And also in the last 28 games, Jalen Wilson is shooting just 25% from three on 3.2 attempts per game. He is basically having free reign and a green light to shoot threes, to shoot contested threes, and he has not been a good three-point shooter. Again, over three three three-point attempts per game, and he's shooting 25% from three. Out of reference, Charlie Moore, who basically got buried on the depth chart and didn't play because he wasn't able to shoot for Kansas, shot 27% on over two threes per game, and furthering that, I mentioned the true shooting percentage number that Jalen Wilson has this season. Well, guess what? Charlie Moore's one season at Kansas had the exact same true shooting percentage as Jalen Wilson has this season. Yeah, that's yeah, that says a lot. And and I and I'm trying to think back. I, you are right. He's taken some contested threes, and and you wonder at what point do they tell him you know to stop pulling the trigger. But I also, I think really the frustrating thing is you can point to, and this, is, this isn't a perfect thing. It's not like you, you can click a button and say Jalen takes this shot and Christian takes this shot and Dave takes this shot. But I, I, I think what adds to maybe the, the frustration level is he, he doesn't like, you could point to other guys that he's taking more points from. And again, it's not like it's, you know, in every shot he takes, it's not like you could look at it and go, well, Jalen took that shot, but look over there, Christian could have taken it. Like, there's a reason he took a, a given shot. Um, so it's not like you, it's not like just throwing out a deck of cards. It, you, there's there's nuance to it, and you got to know how the, the defense is playing you and things like that. But, um, but yeah, we, it, it's just, to me, it really comes down to it's as simple as if, if somebody's a bad shooter and they keep taking shots, those are shots that good shooters could be taking. And a lot of it, in a lot of his longer shots, those threes, you know, a lot of those are going to go long. So it's not like they're going to they're going to careen off and be something that the Dave can can rebound or Jalen Wilson himself, as good as he's been at, at, at rebounding, 
you know, if he chucks up a three, contested or not, and he's not a good three-point shooter, or at least over the course of the last 28 to 30 games, he hasn't been a good three-point shooter, he's immediately taking himself out of the possibility of getting that offensive rebound, which puts the team even further back. So you've got a guy who is a really good rebounder, putting up a shot when he's not a good shot take or when he's not a good shooter and in taking that shot out he's also taking himself the good rebounder out of the rebounding equation yeah no that's a really good point and so yeah as we try to diagnose like because because i think that's that's the issue of what you're holding on to here is that if he can be that guy that we saw in the first nine games of last season um, where he averaged 16 points per game through the first nine, then obviously he has a ton of value to what he can bring for the team. But the larger sample size, again, over the last 28 games, says he's not really that guy, which I like. I, I don't know what that is. I don't know if, like I said, it was just a hot streak. I don't know if it was just that he's just really only effective offensively when he's a small ball five because maybe – He's just not athletic enough to get by threes and fours. Maybe he's not a good enough shooter to have a three or four respect you. But as a five, maybe he can be great at both, and and maybe there's growth that can be had. Or if he hits a hot streak shooting it, it changes it. But because of all that, like I I don't really know what to do here besides having him as a small ball five, but because he's not playing well, you're not going to play him over those other big men who are playing well at the five. And I haven't really discussed him playing the small ball five a ton here on this show because Bill Self, I don't think, really wants to entertain that, so I'm not going to spend time wasting on that idea. But he's not really a good rim protector when he's in at the five. Um, Dave makes the team better defensively when he's out there, and he's playing worse than Dave, as I just discussed. He's playing worse than Mitch. Honestly, he's playing worse than KJ and Zach Clements at the five. So I, I want to stop the charade because I've seen a lot of people say this. I'd like to see Jalen Wilson play the five. He is not playing well. He has not shown you the ability to deserve that spot. But at the same point in time, your best ball might come from him playing the five. And then furthering that, every conversation we've had about David McCormick that, like, it's almost impossible to see KU being a Final Four team or a national championship team without David McCormick being a legit player for you. I think it's it's almost I don't want to say it's it's like opposite with Jalen, but like if, if I told you that, you know, could KU make a Final Four without Jalen Wilson playing like he did at the beginning of last year, I would say absolutely. Yeah, 100%. I, I do, do you wonder how many, and again, this is not a, a you know, this isn't a, something that, you, that could be perfectly measured, but I, I there have been a lot of, I, I, I'd be interested in knowing how many Jalen Wilson shots have come because better shots have been passed up by either Remy Martin, who we've talked about has maybe gone too far down the don't want to be selfish you know, side of things, or a good shot passed up by Christian Brown, who Bill Self himself, he himself said he'd like to see take more threes, even if it means his percentage would go down a little bit. He's still, Christian Brown, he said, is is taking as many threes per night that they'd like him to make. So I do wonder how many of Jay, like would Jalen's number of shots just naturally go down if other guys were taking more shots? That's a good question. Sometimes, and you mentioned Remy being unselfish to a fault. Sometimes, sometimes, like we've seen that with other players, with you know Christian Brown or Ochai passing up like a, a pretty good look 
to try to get a great look, but then it turns into being just like a bad look because they run out of time on the shot clock or something. And maybe he's the guy who sometimes is just like, you know what, screw it. Somebody's got to shoot this. I'll do that. And I'll try to bail it out. Um, I, I, I guess I would buy that if this was like, like at some point this needs to start switching. And again, I'm, I'm not out on the idea that it can, like I said, like there could just be a three game stretch where Jalen just goes inferno from three and goes like seven for 10 or something. And all of a sudden uh, his percentages look fine and everything. And that could, that could definitely happen. But like I said, that's a 28 game sample that I'm looking back on where he's basically been Charlie Moore offensively. And that was a player who had to transfer out because he wasn't good enough to play at KU. Now Jalen does more things on the court than Charlie Moore. He still has his value worth so I don't want to make it sound like that but just from a shooting a scoring standpoint that has been the case and as we as we look at some other players on this team with with the the depth chart of the rotation kind of sinking a little bit to tightening up on who's playing or who's playing how many minutes it's hard for me to see like Jalen Coleman lands hitting all these shots or Uh, Zach Clements being a a stretch five that can be a matchup nightmare depending on who you're playing or KJ Adams making all these hustle plays and seeing Jalen struggle this much shooting the ball and not say, well, are we sure he should be averaging 20 minutes a game or should it be closer to 12 to 15 right now till he gets it figured out and you give some of those minutes to those other guys in the meantime? Yeah, that's a good point. Although I would ask from a position standpoint, where would, who, who would take those minutes? Would you put like a guy like KJ at a, at a four or would you just give more minutes to the guys that are already playing? Well, I mean, it, it depends how you want to do it, right? Because it depends who's in the lineup. If, if you have a four already in there, if you have Christian or, or Ochai who have staggered in at that moment in time and, and they can slide down to the four, and you play more minutes of Jalen Coleman lands at three, or I think maybe this would be more of a conversation when Bobby Pettiford comes back, right? Because you can play more minutes with a second or maybe even third point guard out there. Like you could basically say, Hey, we're going to take a few minutes away from you. We're going to play that three point guard lineup, which we saw uh, a few times in, in the non-con and, you know, put Christian Brown or Ochai or one of your wings down to the four next to your center in Dave or Mitch. I, I don't totally know what you do, and I'm honestly not expecting it to happen, but I just wonder, like I said, at least in the meantime, till he gets it figured out shooting wise. And if it never happens, it never happens. Uh, not saying he shouldn't play, but you know, maybe this is an opportunity to get some of those other guys minutes, especially when you have a lot of young players who maybe they could use those minutes in terms of development. All right. This is rock truck sports talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN with Adam Gravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. We'll be right back after this time out. All right, welcome back in. This is RCST on KLWN, KLWN.com. Adam, do you have some uh, breaking news or something? You're signaling at me. Something pretty exciting going on in Tampa Bay. Now, I know we uh, don't like thinking about them because of something that happened last February, but in the USFL, which we hope lasts more than three weeks or however long the last minor league football leagues lasted, the Tampa Bay Bandits have hired a familiar face as their head coach. Derek, do you want to take a stab at who it is? We are very familiar with this person. It's not Charlie Weiss. I'll say that. Okay, that was going to actually be my guess. So it's not Charlie Weiss. A former colleague of Charlie Weiss's. Uh, I don't know. Turner Gill? New head coach of the Tampa Bay Bandits, Todd Haley. Ah. 
Good for Todd. I'm excited for him. Yeah, good for him. Wait, is he the head coach or the offensive The head coach. He is the Tampa Bay Bandits head coach. That actually gets me a little more interested in why. I, I probably won't watch any of it, if I'm being honest. But a little more excited because I could see a blow-up on the sideline occurring. Wouldn't that be great? Especially you've got Todd Haley, who's known for blowing up with guys, with a bunch of pissed-off players who think they should be playing in the NFL and that they've been slighted. Yeah. yeah oh, my gosh. It's going to be like little man syndrome to the extreme. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. Okay. Um, I am going to do a top five list of the best things about working from home and the worst things later on in the show. Um, as I mentioned earlier, I'd like to point I out there that... close contact with somebody who tested positive for COVID. So I'm awaiting uh, COVID testing results and uh, we're just doing the show. I'm, I'm doing it out of Zoom. Adam is in the studio, which means I am working from home today. And I don't get to work from home too often, but a lot of people uh, work from home in the world, especially since COVID happened. I know a lot of places have basically said, you know what, um, this thing works. We don't have to rent out office space. Everybody doesn't have to uh, take the long commute to work. Like, we're just going to keep doing this. So uh, for a lot of people, they probably have more expertise on this than me, but I'm going to give a stab at my top five best things about working from home. Um, Adam, off the top of your head, do you have one that sticks out? Like what would be the best thing about working from home for you? Um, well, I would say comfortable clothes, but we get to dress pretty correct casually around here. Um, the, I would say you have more say on the, on the climate. Like I, you know, it kind of gets warm in the studio and you kind of have to de- decide on, you know, everybody gets, you know, what what's the most comfortable temperature for everybody when you're in an office, even an office like ours that doesn't have a ton of people. But if you're at home, you have full say over the climate. Okay, that's a good one. My honorable mention pick before I get into the top five, uh, no commute to work. Now, this would probably be higher on the list for you. This would probably be higher on the list for a lot of people who go to work. Yeah, you, you, you live eight seconds from work anyway. Exactly. Uh, I have a very short drive, so it's not a big deal for me, but I'm sure for a lot of people that would actually be number one. I had a, my uh, brother-in-law back before he was my brother-in-law and he was just my sister's boyfriend. Um, he worked in, he worked, he still works in Kansas city, but for a time he and my sister lived here in Lawrence because she went to school in Topeka and he worked in Kansas city. So this Lawrence kind of worked as a nice in-between for him. Um, and he would, uh, he would carpool and they live now in mission, which for those of you not super familiar with the Kansas city area is kind of Northeastern Johnson County. So he's gone from, uh, about a 45 minute commute during which he had to carpool to driving himself now about, it's not nearly as close as you, Derek, but it's still about a 12 minute drive. So he, he, Still to this day, it's been years since they lived in Lawrence, but he still gets giddy about his short commute. Okay, well, that didn't make the list for me. Number five is being able to make lunch at home. When you're at the office, you either got to go pick up lunch or, you know, you got to buy it somewhere or you got to make it in like the office break room. And nobody wants that. Like, A, you don't really have nearly as many cooking utensils, but also like if, if you make something that doesn't smell great, it's going to 
gross everyone out at the office. And if you do make something that smells really good, everybody at the office is going to be like, I want that too. Yeah, it's either going to be fish and everybody hates you, or it's going to be like <laughs> leftover Bill Self mac and cheese and everybody wants a bite. Exactly. Okay, so that's my number five, being able to make lunch. And you have more options too, because at the, you know, um, I can just think on the fly, like, oh, I have this in my fridge. I'll make this. Uh, number four, avoiding the drop by. Um, uh, what I mean by the drop by, you're working, you're doing something at work, and then somebody drops by, drops in, and just wants to talk to you about something for for a little bit of time. And and you're you're busy. I mean, there's times when the drop by is nice to have some social communication, everything. But there's other times when you're like you're very busy, and you're like, I I just need to get this work done. Yeah, I, uh, that's kind of, I'll say this one benefit that we have is, is nowadays you can just text. So I, I, I rarely do the drop by for you. Now I'm sure other people do, but rarely do I drop by for you. I just kind of text, um, and say, Hey, this, um, but yeah, you're absolutely right. Nobody's, nobody's stopping by and, and saying, Hey, we need you to do this. We need you to do that. So that's a good one. Yeah, I mean, I feel a little bit of a jerk saying that. Because like I said, I do enjoy the social interaction a lot of times. It's just there are certain times, I should say, well, specific and, times. And especially when you're doing like a fun, you know, like us, when we get, you know, obsessed about sports and you're really digging into details and you're putting together a spreadsheet and it's like awesome and you're like really digging into the nitty gritty and it's like you're really getting something going and then all of a sudden somebody interrupts you for something that is probably – still important to the job but not nearly as fun as what you're doing at that moment that's like come on <laughs> yeah exactly exactly okay uh the number three best thing about working from home being able to go to your own bathroom yes we all appreciate you going to your own bathroom too derek mm, wow that's mean has there been talk about that i know i'm not at the office today is that what you guys are gossiping about um i can't confirm or deny Oh, no, that's not good. Um, but, yeah, being able to go to your own bathroom, not having, like, the office crappy toilet paper. You have your own toilet paper at home. Um, and it's just – it's a feeling of comfortability. Um, it's a feeling of – like, here's the other thing. I'm alone. Like, I can go and, and, you know, go pee with the door open. I don't have to worry about that. I can't do that at the office. That would be a sexual harassment lawsuit waiting to happen. For the um, record, that's, also, one, of the, that's, you know, that's I, one of the nice things about working bored during high school football games. You're the only one here, so – I, you can totally do that if you're alone at like 10 o'clock at night in the office. Well, there you go. Don't stop by the KLWN offices at 10 o'clock on Friday nights during football season. But um, I, I, I think there's some comfortability when you get to go in your own bathroom. And for some people, they don't like going in public restrooms at all, which I, I completely understand. I don't have to worry about that when I'm working at home. Yeah, everybody likes home field advantage. Yeah. Uh, okay. Um, number two, best thing about working at home, not having to dress up. You mentioned it. Um, like you said, we're we're in radio, so we're not having to wear like a, a suit and tie every day or something to go on national TV. So that's nice as is. But like I, you can even go uh, below that when you're working at home. Like if I really wanted to, I could be wearing nothing right now. I, I mean, we're on a Zoom call, so you can see me. So I wouldn't want to do that to you. But hypothetically, I could. Oh yeah, if if we set this up to where you just used, you know, like the equipment we take. So a little peek behind the curtains. What what we do is um, when somebody's broadcasting from a remote or they're doing a high school football or basketball game, they take some remote equipment from the studio and they're broadcasting through what's called a tie line. 
And so if we did that, like if you just took the tie line equipment, Derek, you could be completely nude right now and nobody would know. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, although I'm not a big, like a lot of people are like, Oh, I sleep in the nude or I do that. I'm actually not one of those people. I, uh, I'm team sweatpants. I, I naked is the day I was born. I sleep and it is wonderful. All right. The number one for me about best thing working at home, I get to hang out with my dog. She is literally, I I don't know if this is picking up on the mic at all, but she's literally this like whole time we've been doing this. She has been sleeping on the couch next to me, like snoring hardcore. I don't know how she's just like, I'm I'm talking, I think relatively loud for like a normal conversation to make sure it gets picked up on the audio and everything. And she's just snoozing away there, but it's nice because you know, um, uh, in, in going back to the uh, number four thing on the list, which was avoiding the drop by uh, with the dog, sometimes you can just be like, okay, I need like a 30 second break. Let me pet the dog or, you know, the dog's super happy to see me. That'll cheer me up or, um, you know, get a little exercise, go play with the dog or take for a walk or, or something like that. Um, just getting to be with the dog makes a uh, day happier. That's what dogs are, are basically here for, right? Man's best friend. They make people happier. Yeah, I mean, I, I love your dog. She's great. Kona's a fantastic dog. Um, and so, yeah, it, it, and, yeah, I found with dogs, um, they they when they have their routine, and I started noticing this when I was a kid, and, I, you know, like you have your summer and, and Christmas breaks when you're home, you know, usually you're gone during weekdays, but you get this, you know, they have your breaks where you're home, um, or sick days, same kind of thing. I, I've kind of found that dogs have their sleeping routine. Like they have their nap routines and it does not matter. Not only could you be broadcasting from your house, Derek, you could be driving your car through your house and she wouldn't have her nap times interrupted. Dogs have those sleep patterns and they're out, dude. They're out. I know. What a crazy life. If you get to sleep for like 20 hours a day. When I was this kid, we had a we had a great cat. His name was Larry, but he was so annoying sometimes because he did this thing where, like, especially when it was cold out, um, he would do this thing where, like, he would be cuddled up someplace warm, and he'd just look at me, knowing that I, it was like six thirty in the morning, and I had to go to school or work or something in the in the freezing cold, and he'd just look at the window at how cold it was, and then look at me like, oh well, I'm going to snuggle back up and go back to sleep. Goodbye. <laughs> Yep, pets are pretty cool. So uh, that would be my top five list of best things about working at home. All right, one hour down, two to go. This is Rock Truck Sports Talk on KLWN, depending on it. All right, earlier we did the top five best things about working from home. And in case you're wondering about the sound, why I don't sound like I'm on a professional microphone. Well, I'm not. I'm on a Zoom call. Um, had a close contact, so waiting COVID results. Uh, I feel fine. But thanks for asking if you did ask, I guess. Um, uh, but yeah, just, just waiting on that, being safe and, and everything. And beautiful Zoom technology allows us to do that. So I don't normally work from home, obviously. Um, but in this short taste of, of doing so, it has given me a brand new perspective on the world. And we did those top five best things about working from home. What are the worst things, though? Because obviously not everything is positive. There's some negatives about working from home as well. So we'll get into it. The number five worst thing about working from home, no tech support. This is a little lower on the list for me because I don't, like I, I'm pretty good with, with technology. Now, if something goes wrong with like a hard drive or, or something, like I'm, I'm not going to know how to fix it clearly. Um, but 
I, I'm pretty technologically sound, so I don't have like too many issues with everything. Like I'll see my parents, uh, you know, my dad will like have an issue with a computer and he's just like, I don't understand why it's doing this. And it's just, you know, something relatively simple. Um, that's not me, but it is unfortunate because it is nice to, you know, have the engineer there, which is Gary, shout out to you, where you can just be like, hey, Gary, this isn't working or this thing's not going right. Like, can you help it fix it out or whatever? Yeah, that's a good point because, I mean, at a moment's notice, something can be wrong and, and something can go wrong. And when you're live on the air like we are, because it, and the, but it, nah, I'm just kidding. That was just me making those noises. Nothing actually is going wrong, but that was a perfect example. If something was actually go, going wrong, you wouldn't have anybody there to fix it, Derek. I'm not going to lie. I thought I was losing connection there for a second. <laughs> I wasn't sure. You got me. Uh, yeah, I try. I wasn't sure if you would if you would know I was kidding or not. For the record, we do have a little mini cam in the office, but it, it's half pointed at me, half not. So I couldn't tell if Derek knew I was uh, knew I was joking around or not. But uh, I got gotcha. you. Good job, me. You did. It's so blurry too. Um, but anyway, that's another conversation. That's because uh, I'm in the four. witness protection program. I keep all cameras Ooh. on me blurry. Yeah, we're gonna have to like. Uh, make your voice super deep. So we don't know who it is either. Uh, number four, the temptation to snack all day. Um, it, it's one thing when you're at the office and you know, I, I will say whenever you're at the office and there's like cookies around or, or something that you want to stack on, that's obviously temptation. Eileen's man, we get a lot of Eileen's here. Yes. When you're at home, you have everything at your disposal. So like on the best list, it was great that I can make lunch here because I have everything here. But the negative is it's like, you know, my wife made me a tray of brownies for my birthday and I'm just sitting here like, do I just like eat this whole tray today or what do I do? Like, do I just munch on a bag of chips? Like, I don't normally do that when I'm at work, but the temptation is here because I can just get up, roll over to the, you know, the, the cabinet and boom, all of a sudden I'm snacking all day. That does sound nice. Um, and, and as far as, you know, like if you wanted, if you were here, you know, we've got, a, we've got a couple places near us, but you still would have to leave the office and go like it, it, snacks are so much easier to eat when they're right at your disposal. Cause like, if you know, there's a, there's a, a couple convenience stores, not far from us where if you want to go grab a candy bar or, or, you know, something sweet, you can do that. But then you actually have to make the effort to get out. That it's a huge effort, but you still have to make up the make the effort to get off your day, get out of your desk, get into your car, drive to the store, and so like snacks are at their most dangerous when they're right there, and they're right there all day for you. Yeah, and I mean you can spin it as a positive because snacks are great, but the temptation of having it, the temptation trying to avoid it of trying not to snack all day. Um, it is it's tough. Uh, number three, never leaving the house. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of, I don't know. It's a little boring. You don't get to see the sunlight as much. You just sit here all day and you're, you're just kind of bored. You don't get the social interaction. You don't get sunlight. It's, uh, I don't know. There's something nice about actually being able to leave the house. Yeah. At least when you're homesick, cause now you're just home quarantining. Um, but at least, yeah. at least when you're homesick, you have your fever dreams to entertain you. You know, it's not like you, you, you can't get any sunlight, but you don't want to, cause when you're sick, you don't ever want to leave bed. You do have that time when you're probably at a point where you are 
well enough to go back to work, but you're kind of in that in-between phase. And, and especially with a thing like COVID, you don't want to be like, well, I'll just tough it out because you don't want to risk spreading it to other people. Um, so yeah, the times when you're certainly healthy enough to work, uh, but you just don't leave the house and it's like, it's not like it's a weekend where there's college football or NFL football on all day. See it. it yeah, it's just it's very boring. Ho-hum. Yeah. That's what's funny. We like, this isn't a problem when there's like football on. It's just like, no, I don't want to leave the house. Or like you said, when you're sick, you just bundle up under some blankets, go lay in bed, you sleep, you watch TV. But yeah, when you're working in your home, you're not going to do those things. Like you're here doing work, but you you don't leave the house, and that is a little bit unfortunate. Uh, number two, doesn't really feel like you're working all day while you are working, and the day just kind of bleeds over to where, you know, all day during your work day, you're working, but at the same point in time, you feel like you're playing hooky because you're at home, and then just like at any moment in time you could get up and, and go make lunch or like I could, I could have an 11 o'clock lunch or something like that if I wanted, cause I'm just home. And, and then the day just bleeds over to when the work day is done. I'm just going to be in the same place that I was when I was working. And it's just going to be like, you know, there's no break in between. It's not like I get to look forward to, Oh, I get to drive home at the end of the day. I come home and now my day's done. I can kick back, sit on the couch or, or do whatever. I'm just going to feel like it all bled over into one thing and that like I, I didn't really accomplish much. Yeah, and you're going to get if, if it gets too too long, you're going to have to, you know, you, you forget even what day it is. It's going to it's just going to be like, man, what is and it feels it's one of those things where it feels like it goes all at once very very quickly and very very slowly. Because, you know, while it's happening, it feels like it's dragging on. But then when you get to the end of the day, you're like, did I really do anything of merit today? And so that that's when it feels like it went by way too damn fast. All right, the number one worst thing about working from home, just being lonely. Um, but you have it is Kona. nice that I have my dog here, so that makes me a little less lonely. But as much as I said in the earlier, like, not having to get the drop-bys is kind of nice. Sometimes there are times when... You do want to talk to other people. You do want to socially interact with others. And you do want to see what's up in someone's day or hear their opinion on something. It's it's kind of nice to, to hear from other people. That's what we've been missing during COVID, during the when we were really at the, the heart of the lockdown and, and the quarantine. And it was it was depressing where you don't get to like actually see people and talk to them. And that is very much like I mean, you can't take the the mental side of, of what COVID has done. Uh, for granted because it's it's had a big impact on people and i think the biggest reason why is because of the lack of that in-person social interaction so um it's fine for me probably today because i mean a we're talking to each other here and like i said i have my dog and it's just one day but like if i had to do this every day i would i would feel so lonely yeah i I gotta think it would get really frustrating really quickly working from home every single day and like just staring at the four same four walls and and even then, like, even like, it's great. We, we get to talk to each other for several hours a day. And that would still be the case, even if you were working from home, but still you, you if you come into work, you've got more people to interact with, not just me. So, I mean, it gets to the point where, you know, you're, you, you know, we're friends and you love your wife, but like, it's not, it's, it's nice to have multi, it's, it's, it's some good to have some variety. Yeah. Even simple things like it doesn't have to be a deep conversation. Just literally saying hi to someone, like I don't know, it just 
picks your spirits up a little bit. Um, so those are my top five worst things about working from home. Did I miss anything? I'm trying to think. I uh, no, I, I think I, I'm not sure how I, I would have uh, put it in the same order as you, but I definitely I think you basically hit the nail on the head. Um, I'm trying to think of of. I mean, I, I've never, I've rarely had jobs where I've worked from home. I don't know that I've ever had a job where I've worked from home. Um, but yeah, I would say there's something I, I don't like being in the same spot all day and that, but that would kind of, you know, in, you know, just being in the same, but you kind of mentioned something along those lines, but yeah, I don't, I don't love that. It doesn't, but yeah, I can't think, I think you basically hit the nail on the head. I'm trying to think of, of anything else that might be irritating but nothing comes to mind. Yeah, you definitely get antsy. I've already moved spots a couple times today, um, so that makes it nice to have a couple spots. Like go to the couch, go to the office, on the computer, just different spots, kind of mix things up, get a little different perspective. But uh, that is the top five worst things about working from home. All right, this is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN, depending on it. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the Best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com, and we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. Okay, Ochai Baji, future first-round pick. Ochai Baji, question mark? Well, that is the case. Sam Vecini, who... Uh, does NBA mock drafts for the athletic. We've had him on the show a couple times. Um, really insightful person with the NBA draft and, and draft scouting and everything. He, he released his latest mock draft and Ochag Baji was not just listed as a first round pick. He was listed as a lottery pick in Sam Bassini's latest mock draft and the little write up the blurb, um, get a subscription to the athletic. I'd recommend it. So I'm not going to give away everything, but it, it does um, mention in there that pretty much every, you know, executive and, and scout that he's talked to is basically saying Ochai is somewhere in that 10 to 20 range. Yeah. And that's amazing. I, the, the biggest improvement I've seen as far as his NBA potential goes, he's already had a, a shot that made me think he would probably go, be a good second round pick because the second round has gotten a lot more value. The se- a second round pick back in the day used to be you were going to be relegated to the D league and probably play out your career somewhere in Europe and still make a decent amount of money playing basketball, but probably not get much run in the NBA. Whereas now a second round pick is, especially in the way the game is played now is, is what a lot of people just call a three and D guy where he comes in, he's a bit of a sniper and he can play some defense but the biggest thing that's that is is improved for me, at least just watching him, is his bounce. He I didn't think he could get like it's it shocked me to see somebody get so much more athletic between ages twenty one and twenty two. Like his bounce is real now. Well, it's weird too that you know I it's not like that weird because it's hard to have a lottery pick, but. At a blue blood like Kansas, you would think, okay, you probably have a lottery pick once every couple of years. You haven't had a lottery pick since 2017, so it's been five years now when Josh Jackson did it. And then before that, you have to go back to 2014 with Andrew Wiggins and Joel Embiid. It's, it's not as often as you think, but what's, what's different there is all those guys I mentioned, Josh Jackson, Andrew Wiggins, Joel Embiid, 
even if we go to Ben McElmore uh, the year before in 2013, you have to go all the way back to Thomas Robinson the last time that KU had a lottery pick who was at college for uh, – played at KU for multiple years because Ben McElmore was in college a couple years, but played at KU for multiple seasons for Ochai – uh, the fact that he would turn himself into a lottery pick in his fourth season in college, you don't see that a ton, and that's uh, pretty impressive. You think there's something to be said about if things are moving the opposite direction now that that more teams are seeing the value of picking um, older players? Because for the longest time, the thought was, well, we get them when they're 19, when they're full of potential. Um, but do you think teams now are seeing value, just more value in guys that – um, are, are a little, you know, their ceiling might not be as high, but they're they're just a little more ready made than than a, a nineteen year old kid who's just played a fresh his freshman year. Well, it's it's the old adage, right? It's it's do you draft on potential or do you draft on what you know? And I, I don't I don't really prescribe to the notion that you should have an, an absolute feeling one way or another. I think you should take every situation differently because. You know, there are times when you need one thing, and there are times when maybe you just think that player is better than the other guy. Um, I, I think it's like, you know, you could have a lot of players where you could say, well, if he stayed three years, then he would, you know, look really good in college basketball too. But also, how many of those guys would be national player of the year? Right? Like, th- there's a difference there, and, and Ochai's in that conversation. So it's, it's a little bit of both. Um, I like I said, like if you're the Oklahoma City Thunder and you can't attract the uh, star NBA player to yourself in free agency, you probably are better off just taking home run swings every year until you finally hope that you hit one. Um, but if you're a bigger market team or if you're a team that just needs role players, like yeah, the, go with go with the higher ceiling guy, which would be Ochai. And I think he's turned himself into somebody that people are probably pretty confident in the NBA that. You know, he'll come in. I don't think he's going to be a, a star in the NBA, but he'll be either your, you know, one of your role player starters, or he'll be one of your first couple guys off the bench that comes in and can hit threes and is a big part of the rotation and is playing in the playoffs and is making an impact and gets multiple contracts in the NBA and plays for eight, 10, 12 years in the NBA and makes millions on millions of dollars. I think he has firmly established himself in that camp. Yeah, and I, I do think that it's so rare to get guys where you just look at and go, like, stars only come along. Like, every we really want to paint every year, this guy's going to be a star, this guy's going to be a star. And the fact is, stars just don't come along that often. Everybody wanted to look at Zion and go, oh, my God, he's like this guy, he's like that guy. And it, so many things have to go right for stars to happen like you see right you know in in the same draft from the same college team you saw the difference you've got a guy in Wiggins and a guy in Embiid who you looked at one and or you looked at both and said you can see exactly why somebody thinks they could be an absolute you know like MVP caliber player but each of them also had their kind of things about them where it had it made you go Okay, yeah, but then there's this. Um, with Embiid, it was the injury potential. With Wiggins, it was does he play basketball because he really is crazy about it, or does he play basketball because he just happens to be really good at it? Um, and so, like, it takes a lot of things have to come together for a star to happen. And so, I think there's something to be said about 
you know, we may not think this guy can be a star, but there's something to be said about consistency and reliability. One of my favorite things with years where KU basketball, like, wasn't nearly as good as other years, like 2018-19, you get a four seed, you lose in the second round of the NCAA tournament. It's, it's more of one of those forgettable years. And you can even in those years look back on the roster and be like, holy cow. Like, Dietrich Lawson was a second or third team All-American. Um, Udoka Azubuki turned himself into a future first-round pick. Devon Dotson was a future All-American. Ochai Baji was on that team, and he, again, is now projected to be a lottery pick. Quentin Grimes was on that team. He was a first-round pick last year. Marcus Garrett is in the NBA now. David McCormick, a All-Big 12 player from last year. Uh, that's who you had on that team, and that was like one of the more forgettable KU teams. It's funny how you can do that. Um, but I do think it's interesting. If KU does have a, a long run in the NCAA tournament, we see this every year, teams who – go far in March Madness, players who perform well in March Madness, those games carry a bigger weight than the regular season. Whether they should or not, that's another conversation. Um, but they just do. And last year, for instance, uh, Baylor going into the NCAA tournament, like I don't really remember seeing much Davion Mitchell um like top 10 hype or anything like that in the draft. I remember it was like Jared Butler and Davion Mitchell. Like they could both be like late first round picks. And then all of a sudden you get to the end of the tournament. Davion Mitchell is just shutting all these guys down and hitting threes. And Davion Mitchell goes in the top 10 of the draft or Buddy Heald leads Oklahoma to the final four. And he goes in the top 10 of the draft. If KU has as good of a season as they're hoping for, and they make it to the, the final four, they win a title and we're already right now talking about Ochai as being a possible lottery pick, there's a there's a real chance Ochai could be like a top 10 pick and maybe even even higher than that because this is a down draft. I mean, this is a draft where, you know, last year you had all these superstars come in. This year it's like, man, I don't know who's going to be the number two, the number three, the number four, the number five guy. Like there is a, there's an actual chance that Ochai could secure himself into being the top 10. Yeah, Thomas Robinson, I think you, you look at in 2012, a lot of people thought, okay, this he's, he was the second guy for National Player of the Year, but I think what probably he was probably already always going to be a lottery pick no matter what KU did in the tournament that year, but I think he wound up being picked sixth, and I do wonder if how much of that had to do with the fact that he, you know, even though it was a, a um, I can't remember, it was a Keaton Page. No, uh, Keaton Page played for Oklahoma State. The guy for one guy for North Carolina was out. That the KU played in the Elite Eight that year, but he was a guard. So Kendall Marshall, Kendall Marshall, but he was a guard. So T. Rob still went up against North Carolina's best big men and performed well. KU got the win there, and then they played. He went up. He had to actually play against Jared Solinger. And KU won that game, and he played well in the Final Four. And even though KU lost, he he did fine against Kentucky in the national title game. So not only do scouts get a, get more games to watch you in, you have a chance to perform against high-level opponents. Whereas if you get bounced in the first or second round, they're going to say, okay, yeah, he had a couple decent games in the NCAA tournament, but neither of them were against high-level competition because they got upset by their seven seed or their ten seed or whatever. Yeah, um, and and I guess going like because there's two ways to look at this. There's one the how it would fuel Ochai's uh, draft stock, like you mentioned with T. Rob, 
There's also the way to look at it. Like I've, I've mentioned this that before. I think it's um, every national championship team has had at least one guy on the roster who would eventually be a first round pick. Not necessarily that year, but like like 20, uh, 2016 Villanova. I don't I don't remember them having a first round pick that year. But eventually, Josh Hart was a first-round pick like the year after, and uh, Mikhail Bridges in, in three years after or whatever, and, and uh, so far down, Dante DiVincenzo a couple years after. Like, you had guys who eventually became first-round picks who did play for the team. Um, and I think you have to go back to, it was like the 1986 Indiana team, the last time it didn't happen. Even then, the only reason it didn't happen is because there were less teams in the NBA draft and their top draft pick went, I think, 26th in the draft, which today would be a first-round pick, but then was a second-round pick. So the point being, you have to have at least like one stud, even NBA talent, to be able to win the title. And, and it is a little bit of a chicken-and-egg conversation with, well, are you winning the title because you have the good player, or did you win the title and then maybe a guy who was more of a second round pick because of you winning the title and gaining that buzz got boosted to a first round pick? Like for instance, in uh, 2016, 2017, yes, Josh Jackson ended up being a first round pick. So he would have qualified there. But if, if that team ends up winning the title and let's say they didn't have Josh Jackson, hypothetically, which you don't win the title without Josh Jackson. So this hypothetical is weird to begin with, but if they win the title, Frank Mason probably goes in the, the late first round instead of the early second round, and then that, that streak continues. So there's a little bit of chicken and egg there, um, but that does have to make you feel pretty good about where he's being projected for that reason, knowing that once you get into the NCAA tournament, knowing that when you get in these big games, like this isn't just one of those years where, okay, you have some good college players, but then you could get run out of the gym by a team that just has more talent. Like You have legit NBA talent. Uh, Ochai is projected to be, like we said, a lottery pick. Christian Brown, I've seen popping up on draft boards in the second round now. And you start to see that there maybe is more talent than maybe we thought coming into the year in terms of that next level perspective. Yeah, and 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 that, yeah, you, you've got to feel, I, I would agree, that you've got to feel pretty good um, about where, where you stand as far, you know, because... It, at the very least, what 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 NBA talent tells you is, you know, you've got um, you are among the absolute best uh, right now playing the game, at least the young players, and that you know I, I do agree there is the chicken and egg factor, but even you look at you know Butler, you know, with Gordon Hayward in 2010, like does he jump up because of the run they made, or did they make that run because he was that good? Um, and, and I think every time, you know, you have a really great, um, you know, the, the best KU teams that, that came up short in the tournament, the ones that were most surprising were the ones that had NBA talent. Like, I don't look at the 2015 team, although it had Kelly Oubre, like, I, you know, the, 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 it's the teams that, that wind up get having multiple NBA guys, um, whether they're drafted that year or drafted in the future, that are going to be the ones you look at and either go, yes, they made the Final Four, or man, how did they come up short? And I think what you're what you're seeing right now is this is go this is a team not just from the way they're playing, but you're you're seeing it kind of confirmed to what NBA scouts are saying 
that they have some of the best talent in the country. Yeah, which is always nice to hear. And um, again, like at the end of the day, like a perfect example, Shabazz Napier with UConn, that team wins the title. I don't, he probably wouldn't have been a first round pick, but then they go on that run. He ends up being a late first. So that uh, I guess matters. But I think it's also good to point out in this year, like you look at some of the guys, so Jabari Smith, they have going number one in this article. I, uh, Auburn's going to be really good. So maybe, uh, I don't know. They're a team that's in for it. Paolo Bancaro, he's on Duke. He's supposed to go high. Chet Holmgren at Gonzaga, Jaden Ivey at Purdue, and Johnny Davis at Wisconsin. Um, as I look at this, though, like there's some guys on here where, you know, like Jalen Duran at Memphis. I don't know if they're going to be an NCAA tournament team. Um, Patrick Baldwin Jr. at Milwaukee, supposed to be a top 10 pick. Probably not going to be an NCAA tournament team. Uh, some guys from the G League Ignite or Keegan Murray at Iowa, who they'll be an NCAA tournament team, but they're not like title threat. There's some players ahead of Ochai, too, where you sit and say, you know, as far as the college basketball world is concerned, you might not really impact who wins the title. So, as far as being the best pro prospects of players who are actually on teams that can contend for the title, it, it raises you even higher. And, and again, that has to make you feel um, even better. I, I do partially wonder uh, how that matters in terms of like roster construction. We've talked about this before. Um, we always hear like guards win in the NCAA tournament. And, and I guess Ochai is a guard technically, but does that matter at all because he's not handling the ball um, at all times? I don't know. But it's just kind of interesting, too, if you think about um, from like a pro prospect potential, and this is just me kind of spitting off the top of my head, like some of Bill Self's best seasons in terms of how they did in the NCAA tournament, or maybe just overall, were seasons where maybe their best college player wasn't the wing, which their best college player this year is the wing as well. Like Ochai is both their best college player and pro prospect. So it's a little different. Um, but in other years, like your best pro prospect in, I don't know, 2010, I guess it might've been Cole Aldridge, but you could make the argument that it was Xavier Henry and yeah. um, Sharon Collins was your best college player or in 2007, 2008, like, yeah, maybe Brandon Rush would be your best player overall, but you'd have a lot of contention for that debate, but he was your best pro prospect. Right. Um, and, and, uh, 2016-17, Frank Mason was your best college player, but Josh Jackson was your best pro prospect as a wing, and they've they've tended to have some good seasons when when those have happened. Yeah, and but what you the other question you could you could ask though is you know yes the the wing aspect is very very important uh, with especially with the way Bill Self runs things, but also what about what if the it, is there anything to your best college player also being your best pro prospect or cause like the, but I, I don't know if you could, if, if it is because you know, you could like 2018, for example, and if you want to just go by when they were drafted, you Azubuki was the best turned out to be the best pro prospect. Cause he was a second or first round draft pick, but Devonte Graham has just signed a $50 million deal. So he's been pretty good in the pros. So I wonder if there's something to be said about, you know, your best college player sometimes is not going to be your best pro prospect, but do you gain even more when your best college player is also your best pro prospect? 
Yeah, I don't know. That's a, that's a very good question, and uh, maybe we'll we'll go back and do some research on that because I would actually be very intrigued with uh, how that works. By the way, real quick shout out before we go to break here: Yudoka Zubuki got his first NBA start last night for the Utah Jazz. Do not look at what the opposing center did against him. Nikola Jokic had a very big game, but really cool news for Doke and uh, living his dream in the NBA. All right, this is Rock Truck Sports Talk. Two hours down, one to go with Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to RCST on KLWN, klwn.com. Depend on it.